5. Don Piper was relieved that the pastor's conference he had been attending finished a little early on that Wednesday in January of 1989. As associate pastor and just appointed minister of education at a Houston area church, he was a busy man. I was thinking about that night and also that I was going to be preaching the next Sunday morning in three services. Within minutes of leaving the retreat center, Don drove onto a bridge spanning a lake. Before I exited the other end, a, uh, a, a tractor-trailer truck owned by the, uh, the Texas Department of Corrections uh, crossed the center stripe and hit my, uh, my car uh, head-on. Um, I was instantly transported to uh, Heaven's Gate. I did not see a single person that I did not know. They were uh, relatives. They were friends who had died in high school. Uh, there were teachers, uh, there were people that I had seen and known all my life who had uh, gone to glory. Uh, they were smiling, they were embracing me, uh, they were welcoming me, uh, they were in the process of taking me uh, in through the gate of heaven. Looking over the heads of his friends, Don saw a looming pearl gate. The gate of heaven was a magnificent uh, edifice, the one that I saw. Um, it looked no less than, uh, uh, than a, giant, uh, a giant gate that looked like it had been sculpted uh, from Mother of Pearl. In all honesty, as awesome as the, the sight was, the sound was even more amazing. Uh, I heard literally thousands of praise songs. They were all praise songs. I couldn't really see anything. I was so preoccupied with the people around me. Couldn't really see anything, but you could sense this hum of wings just kind of hovering all about you, as if you were being ministered to by angels, uh, and that they were observing this whole episode. While Don stood at the I gates of heaven, this man stood on a Texas highway by Don's lifeless body. Pastor Dick Honorecker of Klein, Texas, had also attended the pastor's conference and came upon the accident moments after it happened. EMS personnel told Dick that Don was dead. Very candidly, I, it was as though I was compelled uh, to stop and to pray for him. The Lord just impressed on me uh, very emphatically, very urgently, that I was to pray for him. And I walked over by the door. Um, great physical damage on, on the outside. Um, and I laid my hands on him and began to pray for him. As suddenly as his journey began, it ended. Don found himself back in his crushed vehicle, staring up at a tarp thrown over him by medical attendants. First conscious memory was, uh, what a friend we had in Jesus. I was singing, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I singing this song? Yeah, I'm in the dark. Uh, and I knew it was about noontime when the accident happened. I'm in the dark, I'm singing, and I'm holding a hand. And I'm thinking to myself, what on earth has happened? Dick had begun singing hymns to Don. The Lord impressed on me not only to pray for him, but that there be no internal injuries and there be no head injuries. Um, and then we began to, I began to sing, and all of a sudden I heard him singing with me. Four. <coughs> I had been sick for about two weeks, which felt like the flu. And I thought to myself, well, I've got to get to a doctor and just get some antibiotics. I just hadn't taken the time to do it. Yvonne Sklar didn't have the flu. She had pneumonia, and it was getting worse. And I realized that my breathing was so shallow that I couldn't hear it. Then Yvonne collapsed. She was taken to Loma Linda University Medical Center, 
where Dr. Takin Lo discovered the severity of her illness. Out of the six lobes in her lung, four of them were actually involved in the pneumonia. Tests revealed that the infection had spread into her bloodstream and Yvonne was going into septic shock. Dr. Lowe told her she would need to be intubated and put into a medically induced coma so they could treat the infection. But Yvonne was resistant. I didn't think I would ever wake up. And I kept telling him, I've had a really good life and I know where I'm going and it's okay just to let me go. She and I had a very heart-to-heart -heart talk. We prayed with each other. And then I looked into her eyes and I told Yvonne, look at me. This will be the last person you get to see before you wake up the next time. Meanwhile, Chaplain Donna Herrick, Yvonne's supervisor and friend, rallied people to pray. I took the lead in that and gathered my students. So every day someone could go and pray with her. We gathered as her family. Then Yvonne's organs began to fail. She coded three times over the next two weeks. For each of the organs that fail, there is associated approximately 20% chance of dying. So her lungs fail, her heart fail, her kidneys fail, and her endocrine system, which is the blood sugar, was going out of control. So at that moment, she had approximately 70 to 80% chance of dying. Since Yvonne had no family present, her friends met with doctors to consider turning off her life support. As a longtime chaplain, Donna had seen this many times before. When you are on a respirator like that, day after day after day, this is not something you recover from. You don't expect that. I had prepared myself that she was not going to survive. Later, Donna felt God told her to go to her friend's side. She didn't appear to be with me, but she wasn't gone either. And I took her hand and I said to her, Yvonne, I love you and it's okay if you want to stay where you are, go on to stay with the Lord. It is absolutely okay. I will miss you. We will miss you. It's okay. Donna didn't know that at the time, Yvonne was already in heaven. I remember when I left my body that I was in a beautiful, beautiful field. The flowers were so vibrant and alive. There are no words to describe what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus, the love and the light and the purity. The love is unsurmountable. It is all-consuming. The music was more beautiful than any tabernacle choir, any orchestra. It sounds like hundreds of thousands of people praising God. There isn't even an inkling of any other emotion than happy. Yvonne says they walked through heaven. And he told me, I tell you in my word, to ask for all things small and large. And people don't either feel worthy or they feel like they're bothering them or it's too much to ask, or that they don't believe in, in Christ or heaven. And he says, but remember to tell people, ask. Then Jesus told her she had to go back and asked her to deliver a message. 
I want you to tell people everything that I've showed you. I want you to tell them about my love, my forgiveness, and that they can come as they are. I want them to repent with a sincere heart and follow my laws. Then, three days before she was scheduled to be taken off life support, Yvonne woke up. What was so amazing about that was just the shift of going from death to life. I mean, you know, you know, just intubated, pale, uh, just the things that happen to human body when they're intubated that long. Just there's no life and, you know, and then to walk in the room. I mean, now she's not up doing dances, but she was Yvonne. But very quickly, she progressed to a regular room, and then she was gone to rehab. It was, it was amazing, amazing. Coming back was bittersweet. First of all, you're in this body again, which is very cumbersome, and it's very limiting. In heaven, there's no limitation. And I was talking about heaven as soon as they put a little device on my throat. Normally, it's very hard for a patient like her to have such a miraculous recovery and to the point where she can go back to the community at large and kind of contribute um, actively. Free. I remember it was on a Thursday. Matter of fact, let's take it back. Wednesday night, I found myself looking at these different YouTube clips and watching different out-of-body experiences and different films that, you know, they used to scare me. And I would watch it and it would blow me away. It would catch my attention. And it used to scare me so bad that I would, I would wonder, I would, my mind used to go in places like, God, is this stuff real? You know, I couldn't understand it because I, I've never been to that place. So um, I found myself um, praying. I remember walking outside of, of my apartment and I was walking back and forth with my eyes closed and just started praying and I asked God, I said, Lord, if you give me an out-of-body experience, you know, I, I vow to share your word and to tell the people what I saw, you know, um, not expecting that God was going to respond back to that because I was just praying out, I was just praying, you know, uh, not actually looking for a response. And after that night, the next morning, that Thursday, October the 2nd, I had a dream. And my spirit left my body. It was like I was in my apartment and my spirit got pulled out of my body. And I would go in these different transits, um, bright color lights. It was white. She like, the best way I can explain it would be shoo, 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 all the different flashing lights. And I appeared before a blue sky with no clouds. Uh, it was like a blue place. No land, no trees, no grass, no water, nothing. There was nothing there but a blue atmosphere. And I would see this atmosphere goes millions of miles upon millions of miles where nothing existed. It was like nothing was hidden. Everything was revealed. Everything was before your eyes. You could see. And we was in this clear kind of body form, some form of light as a you would refer to a soul or a spirit or, or and, and I could see through, it was so transparent and in front of me was thousands among thousands similar to what I was and thousands among thousands behind me. And, and I knew that it was some form of a soul. And in the middle of my chest were seeds, multiple seeds. 
I didn't know what they were for. And I realized that I was the only being that could actually move out of my place and look and observe, smell, taste, you know, feel. All my senses were active at this point. And so, you know, um, I began to look around and, and, and to observe the things that I saw, not knowing that this was a dream. I thought this was reality. I thought this was actually happening, you know. Um, and I looked forward, and there was this great shadow way in front of me, way at the end of the line. It was like thousands and thousand people in front of me, and there was a shadow, a great big shadow, but it had no detail. It was like a, as a vapor. And I could I could see that it was a shadow of something that was in the front, and um, I you know I had many questions at this point in this dream, and out of nowhere, I I hear I heard these words, depart from me, and this galaxy, this portal I don't know what to call it, on the on on the right side of of God. you know uh, or Jesus Christ you know whoever you you decide to identify that spot of judgment. On the right side of him, there was this big portal that opened up, and there will be stones of fire. Hey, normally, when you, you you get a lighter and you cut it on, try to um, spark a flame, but instead of fire, it was stones, and they will leak out of this portal. And whoever whoever that guy said depart from me flew down this place, and it the flame the, the stones were so hot. That it will burn everybody outside of that portal. On the left side of our, our body or our form, it will burn us. And it would, everybody would be like, whoo! Like, as if it was so cold or so hot, you would tell somebody to close that door. It's too cold. That's how hot it was. And the, the portal closed. And then the, he, he sent them so fast that the screams were late. I would hear, ah! Like, it was like, depart from me. And it closed up. Then the screams come, ah! And it terrified me. And then out of nowhere, something snatched us up. And like we moved up the line. And I began to think, I, I didn't understand where we was. I'm like, oh my God, maybe this is judgment. Yeah, my, you know, I had many questions and I would hear, depart me, depart me, depart me. And all these different people will be sent to hell. And the part that scared me the most was the people that were getting judged, you could hear when God was talking to them. And you could hear everything they got judged from. So if somebody went to hell for something that you knew you struggled with in your life, you knew where you were going. And so I'm just saying people go, shoot, sit there, boo, boo. But I'm seeing the flame and it's just constantly burning everybody outside that haven't been judged yet. And I could hear some of the people um, talking to God. And um, I remember there was a woman, you know, blonde hair. And God was talking to her. He said, I'm not judging you for what you put on Facebook. But I'm judging you on how everybody else received it. 300,000 people were led astray by one of her Facebook posts. And he said their blood was on her head. And I don't know why he said, the ball for me. And I'm talking about, I couldn't express how powerful his words were. It's as if he said, the ball for me and everything shook. And she was like, she was sitting with great force. And the portal opened up. She was going to fly. And it would close. And like, ah! 
high. The screen was so late, it terrified me. People, uh, adultery, uh, 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 fornication, uh, so many different things that I could actually hear. And people in front of me were terrified because a, a lot of those people were struggling or went through the same situation and they never repented. So I had thousand, one thousand, sent here, sent here. They would go, they were flying, they was flying so fast. I've never seen something so fast. And it got to the point where I was next in line. And he called me up. And he started talking to me. And keep in mind that our life held, held us hand to hand. So anything we did in our life, our, our life testified against us. So you couldn't lie because your life testified. Say, yes, you did. You did this. You did this at this time. Yes, you did. And whenever God would speak to me, you would see a big screen. Like you would see as if whatever God says, it comes to life. And so um, he started talking to me and he started telling me everything that I could have did better. And and at this point, you know, I'm like, okay, God, you know, I could do this better. I did it. You know, I did okay with it. But I could have did better. So he began to say other things and he brought up this specific woman. And he asked me, why didn't I forgive her? And he gave me her specific name. I'm not going to say it. He gave me her specific name. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. He asked me, why didn't I forgive her? I said, I did, God. I did forgive her. He said, well, uh, if you forgave her, when you get on the phone and talk to her, why is it that you treat her like the situation happened all over again? And... I'm like, God, but I, I did forgive her. He said, well, if you forgave her, why are those seeds still in your chest? And I looked down. I was like, oh, my God. That's what those are for. Those are seeds of what I did in my life. The things I didn't forgive. So he was talking to me, and I was like, oh, my God. And he told me. He looked at me and said, because you didn't forgive her, I didn't forgive you some of your sins. And I was like, oh, my God. And he started telling me so many other things, and he ain't told me not one good thing yet. And at this point, I'm getting terrified because my mind is starting now going to a place where I'm imagining how hot this this fire is going to be when this portal open. And so, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I, I didn't know how to explain how terrified I was. I, words can't describe when you meet God. Faith. Words can't describe how terrifying it is to look your Creator face to face. Where there, there's nothing hid from him. There's nothing. Your inner thoughts are revealed before him. Your, your high, your, your perception, how you feel, everything that host you hosted in this body is presented before him. And so, you know, he, I got to a point where I, I just, I like, I didn't want to hear God no more. I was really turning my head because I was afraid that, you know, it's already made his mind up. I was so afraid, and so I turned my head and. He would just come to tell me everything that I didn't do right or, or I could should I should have did better. And at this point, I knew I was going to hell. I knew it. I, I, I was fully persuaded that this was it. So I turned my head and I was like, I don't want to hurt no more. But you know, my mind, I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't hear. I'm just really trying to imagine how hot hell is going to be. I'm like, oh my God, Lord, I have no more chance. If I go down there, I can't come back. Like, Lord, please don't send me to hell. Please, like, God, please. I'm begging you. And I'm, I, I'm more terrified. Ter I was more terrified than I can express. And so I turned my head, and, and at this point, I no longer wanted to hear what he had to say because I knew at this point, you know, I, I was going to hell. 
and I would have my head turned, and out of nowhere there was this warm feeling that would come over the, the interface of my soul. And I would turn my head, and it would go in slow motion, and the tears would fly from my face. And I looked at God, and I was looking at His, his judgment, what, what, what was going to be my judgment? And he looked at me, he said, face to face, you don't get it well done. You get it, you barely made it. And he stepped back and said, come. And at this point, I was so confused. I'm like, oh my God. And on his left side of God, heaven would open up so soft with brilliant lights. Uh, the colors were undescribable. Like colors I've never seen before in my life. It was so, 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 so pretty, so amazing. And the colors would blossom as they grow, and as they grew, and the heaven would open up so gentle. And I would walk toward that direction, and my hand would go in the portal. And when my hand went through, it got bigger. My arm went through, it got bigger. It was like I was growing into a, a, a mature state of a glorified body. And so my leg went through and like, it got bigger. And you can see how big I got on the other side. And, and how my soul was being transformed into a glorified body. And my body would go through it. And, and the only piece that was left behind was my leg. And right before my last foot got in, um, I woke up. The dream scared me so bad. I was underneath our living room table for hours. I was so terrified. I was terrified to move. I was terrified to do anything because I was afraid it was going to be added to my judgment. I thought that was the judgment. I, that didn't feel like a dream. I could feel, I could taste, I could tell you how it made me feel. Everything was so alive in the dream. And at that moment, I was asking God, God, why did you give me this dream? He said, because I want you to warn my people that the things which you saw are the things that shall be. And I didn't realize that what I prayed for and the vow I made before God that he was going to fulfill it. Now he's looking for my aid to be fulfilled. So that's why I'm here talking to you right now. Forgive. Let go. I couldn't describe how many people that allow for, for unforgiveness to grow in them and it, and it caused a bitterness which caused them to do things that they got judged for. That thing caused them not to make it to heaven. I was terrified. It was so many people went to hell. And it, it felt like I was it felt like I was the first one. Like God watched it was thousands among thousands of people in front of me. That is scary to me. So today I encourage you to get it right with God. Get it right with your fellow friends, your enemies. The church hurt that causing you to attack people in silence. Go get it right because hell is not worth it. God, God scared me so bad in this dream, but I knew it was for a reason. So today, choose love. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And that he, he, he died but he rose on the third day. Believe that he's the son of God. 
Read the scripture and apply it to your life. So that when Jesus come back, he don't see your flesh, but he see his word. I encourage you today. Forgive. Love. And watch how God change your life. Two. In the dream, I was driving in my car, and I came upon this accident scene that had to do with semi-trucks. And so when I started waking up out of the dream, I was like, I could feel it was a dream from the Lord, and I felt burdened. And so I began to pray right away. March of 2000, two months after Cheryl Schulke's dramatic dream, her sister Valerie Paters was in a freeway pileup near her home in Flagstaff, Arizona. Valerie's car was crushed under the weight of a semi-truck, and it took first responders several hours to extract her from the vehicle. A mutual friend was on the scene and got word to Cheryl that Valerie was unconscious and not expected to survive. We hung up the phone, and the minute we hung up, I started praying. I said, God, how do you want me to pray for Valerie? And he said, pray that she will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Those words from Psalm 118, verse 17, gave Cheryl hope as she prayed for her sister's life. It stirred my faith to believe that the impossible was possible already before I even saw her. So when I did see her, I was not moved by what I saw in the hospital because I didn't even recognize her. But what moved me was the Word of God. A prayer chain quickly started as word spread through their church community. But when Cheryl got to the hospital, doctors gave her a grim report. They pretty much told us she had you know, we had no hope that she was probably not going to make it. There was no brain activity. Um, they kept her on life support to harvest her organs. Cheryl would not give up. She gathered friends and continued praying for Valerie to wake from her coma. I want those that I have already prayed with or one in spirit that We'll believe God's word and we're going to go to war and we're going to pray over Valerie. And so we took a time one day, I think it was on a Wednesday, we went into the chapel and we took over the chapel and the chapel became like a war room. We went in there and we just began to speak life over her. We prayed over her. Their prayers continued for days, but there were no visible signs of improvement. Meanwhile, Valerie was experiencing a very different reality in heaven. When I stepped into heaven, I mean, I, I hit the light, and I was literally blinded by the light. I'm blinded still today of the light of his presence. I stood up, I turned around, and there was Jesus. And I don't know if I, I ran to him or he came to me. I mean, all of a sudden, we were there. He just smiled at me, and I felt all this emotion that he had for me. I finally felt like I, I was home. It was like I stepped into, finally, I belonged. This is where I belonged. This, I was home. Valerie had been a Christian for most of her life, but says she never believed that God really loved her. In my heart of hearts, I did not believe that I was worthy of his love because I always felt like I was never going to measure up to what I thought the Lord wanted from me. So when I felt his emotion, I felt how he felt about me and the things that I, I thought about myself, 
like my flaws or my, my issues. He never even noticed. He just wants me. It wasn't anything that I, I did for him. It wasn't my performance, nothing. It was, it was just me. I wasn't just loved by him, but he was in love with me. And I was his, I, that was it. I was done for. <laughs> and I, I thought, ah. but then realizing this is how he feels about his creation. Those that he's created, whether they know him yet or not, this is how he feels. Valerie says she felt like she was there for a thousand years and experienced life and love like she never had on earth. Then, Jesus told her she had to go back with a message. He said, you can stay if you want to. And I said, well, if I can stay, I'm staying with you. I'm going to stay with you. And he said, but your purpose isn't done. And he said, I want you to tell them, tell the people who I am, who I really am. Because I thought he was... You know, religious. I thought he was mean. I thought he was. Um, I didn't think he was, you know, human. And he, he's human. He'll always be human, but he's God. I didn't want to leave him. I hated leaving, but I had to come back. And the next thing I knew, I was making like my descent back to the earth. At the hospital days after the accident, the medical team began reacting to new signs of life. And the doctor's checking, he's flashing the light in her eyes, and, and he, he looks at me and he said, get ready, I think your sister's coming back, I see some brain activity. I, I just began to rejoice, rejoice, and I said, thank you, Lord. Valerie soon woke up and experienced a miraculous recovery. Two and a half months after the accident, she walked out of the hospital, healed both physically and spiritually. I, I know who I really am. And so when I had to deal with, you know, coming back with the suffering, um, my, my time with the Lord is what carried me through my recovery. One. I didn't see what he was yelling at. I didn't see the ambulance coming, but I remembered him yelling. That was the last thing I heard from him. On a Sunday morning in 1997, Julie Kemp, her husband Andy, and their eight-year-old son Landon were driving home from church when an ambulance returning to its station broadsided their car in an intersection. Andy died instantly. Rescuers stabilized Julie, but did not realize there was a third passenger in the car. They couldn't see his body because of the damage that was done to the driver's side of the car and Landon was sitting behind his dad and when they saw Landon's shoe it took a deeper search for his body when they pulled Landon out um, from the back of the car he was not breathing and they all started working on him right away to bring him back Landon was resuscitated and life flighted to Carolina's medical center he died two more times that day, and both times he was brought back to life. Doctors didn't give Julie much hope for his survival.
They told me that if he lived, which did not look good, but that if he lived, that he would be like an eight-year-old baby, that um, he would not know how to walk or talk or to eat. I was so desperate that that was okay. I would take that just to have him. He was all that I had. At her husband's funeral, Julie remembers feeling abandoned by God. I was very disappointed, heartbroken. And while I'm sitting at the funeral, I'm fussing at God. I don't understand um, why this happened. I don't understand um, why he didn't send angels to protect us. But in the very next breath, I'm praying as hard to him as I've ever prayed in my life for Landon to live. Landon had suffered massive head trauma during the accident and remained in a coma. He's hooked up to all kinds of machines to keep him alive. And there are no signs. There's nothing good or bad. They see nothing happening. I kept praying that he would open his eyes. After two weeks in a coma, Landon opened his eyes. To everyone's amazement, he had no brain damage. But in the midst of her joy, Julie knew she had to tell Landon about his father. He had scars on his face and his head was just full of hurt. And I didn't want to hurt him anymore. So I asked Landon, I said, Landon, do you know where your dad is at? And he told me, yes, I know where he's at. I saw him in heaven. Landon is now grown, but still clearly remembers his amazing experiences in heaven. I remember being able to see my dad and his friend Olin Palmer, who had passed away less than a month before he did, also in a car accident, and Olin's son, Neil Palmer, who had died on a four-wheeler years before. Never one of us said a word to each other, but we were just all standing there. He looked over to me and says, oh, mom, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I saw your other two kids. And I just looked at him because um, I, I wasn't sure what he was talking about, but um, I had two miscarriages before Landon was born. We had never shared that with Landon. He did not know that um, we had lost two children before him. I knew that they were my siblings, even though no one had ever told me about them. Just being in heaven, I guess you know, you know your own or you know who everyone is. He says each time he died, he had a different experience in heaven. During the third time, he says he met Jesus and was given a mission. It was almost as if like um, a preview of a movie to where you only get to see certain bits and pieces of things. Jesus came to me and told me that I have to go back to earth and be a good Christian and tell others about him. Today, through Grief Share, Landon and Julie use their story to help others who are struggling with loss and in need of hope. I didn't understand in 1997, you know, why God didn't send an angel, but I know that there were angels there, and I know that um, we were protected, and we are living out what His plan is for us. Instead of staying mad at Him, I was able to use the story to help others not to give up and to um, keep their faith on their grief journey. I just want people to realize that Jesus is real, 
there is a heaven, there are angels, and um, to follow His Word in the Bible, and life does get better at the end. In her book, Faith Has Its Reasons, Julie says God has used their experience to bring others closer to Him and has brought new blessings to them. It is a huge blessing that I get to watch my child tell others about Jesus. He is always willing to let others know that there is a heaven because he's been there. I know I'm doing it for Jesus. I know that he's real. I know that angels are there. I know that there's a heaven. I'm not doing it for someone who I don't know or I've never seen. I've seen Jesus. I know he's there. He's asked me to do this, and this is what I'm doing.